Today is uh, Tisha B'Av. Today is the 9th of Av, Thursday morning. We traditionally do not uh, greet each other or extend any type of greetings on Tisha B'Av morning. Uh, we will have our kindness service in the 7 o'clock hour with Rabbi Goldwasser, and I thank him in advance. Meanwhile, uh, Rabbi Wine has plenty to say about Eicha, kindness, this day of Tisha B'Av, 5 7 Ado, I thank you for listening to JM in the AM.
succeeded, and the third brother, the last king of Judah, Sitiot. Now, Yehoiach, the Novi Yermio is alive during the reign of all of these kings. And to put it mildly, he's a pain. They don't know how to deal with him. He's uh, anti-government, as were most of the prophets. And they saw their role as being the moral conscience of the people and not as being a psychophant, someone that agrees with everything that happens. When uh, the uh, when Yoshiyahu was killed in the war, so the first uh, chapter of Echa, which we have as the fourth chapter, uh, beginning Echa Yuam Zohar, how has gold been tarnished? Yishne HaKesem HaTov, great, uh, wonderful tiara has been desecrated. Tishtapechno Avne Kodesh, the holy stones of the high priest were spilled, Veroshkol Chutzos, were spilled as, as though they were garbage, dung on the streets of Jerusalem. That uh, chapter is the Novi's eulogy for the king Yoshio. So even though in our Seder of the Megillah it appears as the fourth chapter, chronologically it's the first chapter. And it deals with the fact that uh, Yoshiohu was killed in the war, the great righteous king, the one last hope of Israel, so to speak, because he was the one who could have turned the situation around. And when he was killed, so then uh, there was no one to really take up the cudgel anymore uh, for uh, Jewish tradition or holiness fight against the corruption that was rampant in the country. And therefore, this is the first chapter, chronologically, even though it's the fourth chapter that we have in the book. So he had this chapter, and then he wrote uh, the first chapter, Echo Yoshva, and then he wrote the second chapter, Echo Yoiv. Those three chapters form the original Megillah of Echa. This original Megillah of Echa was considered so subversive because, again, it's not a reaction to the destruction of the temple. It's a prophecy. It's a prophecy that the government's going to fall, uh, that the Babylonians will conquer the country, the temple will be burned, the Jewish people are going to be taken into exile. No government likes such prophecies. And therefore, in an act of uh, censorship, uh, the king, Yehoiakim, burned the Megillah. We read about it in the uh, book of Malachim, in the book of Kings, that he took the Megillah that Yermio wrote, and he threw it on the fire to burn it. So those were the first, the first two chapters 
plus the fourth chapter, which is the uh, eulogy regarding the death of King Yoshio. Then, uh, since Yermio uh, didn't keep quiet, but publicly preached in the streets of Jerusalem, uh, this message uh, that the destruction was about to happen. So he was arrested and placed in a dungeon, placed in prison. Anyone who thinks that it's a fun job being a prophet for the Jewish people should reconsider that notion. The Jewish people are a tough people, toughest people in the world. We wouldn't be here if we wouldn't be so tough. But because we are so tough, it's hard to deal with them. Hard to be a rabbi for them. Hard to be a teacher for them. Hard to run a government for them. Menachem Begin said that the uh, last government in the land of Israel that uh, Haaretz newspaper approved of was the British mandate. <laughs> and that pretty much sums it up. So he's thrown into jail. He's in the dungeon. Now you can see the dungeon. I don't know if you want to see the dungeon, but you can see it. It's the Chatzera Matara. Uh, which is in East Jerusalem. I've been there a number of times. Today it's a banana market because our cousins have a great sense of history. And they, uh, you know, they preserve things. So today it's the major banana market. Bananas are stored in this cave which leads down to the dungeon. But that was the dungeon in which the prophet Yermio was placed. And he was in prison for a number of years on Gilded. He was really freed by the Babylonians who destroyed the city and ruined everybody in jail. Much as the Americans did in Iraq. In the dungeon, he wrote the third chapter of the book. I am the person who has seen affliction I have been punished. I would have been led in darkness and not in light because the dungeon was a dark place. Tanoki Yermio had a disciple of Koruch ben Meiria. Koruch ben Meiria would later be the teacher of Ezra. So Koruch is the uh, bridge between the first temple and the second temple. And he was a great man. And much of what we know about the Novi, we know through Boruch ben Eriya, who helped edit the book of Eicha, and helped edit the book of Yermio as well. And he would visit him in the dungeon, and according to some opinions in our tradition, uh, he took the dictation from the Navi, uh, which forms this third chapter. So now we've spoken about four of the five chapters. The fifth chapter, the last chapter, which is different than all the other chapters, 
because the first four chapters all are in alphabetical order. They're, they're acrostic, <coughs> follows the alphabet. Eicha is Aleph, follows every posseg. Bochov Sivke, Gomsa, Yehuda, Darchetzio. It is written 22 psukim following the alphabet. But the last chapter, and the third chapter, Aniya Gever, one written in jail, is a triple alphabet. 66 psukim. Uh, three times Aleph, three times Bed, three times Gimel, etc. Uh, there, there are many reasons why uh, we have uh, things written according to the acrostic of the Aleph. Gemara uh, discusses, for instance, uh, why Ashrei is the standard prayer, the prayer that we say three times a day. Why was that chapter of the healing chosen? More advances two reasons. More One reason is because it follows the alphabet. It follows the alphabet. Good old nun, which the more discusses. But uh, it follows the alphabet. The other reason is because it has the exalted posseh of Hoseach Esyodecha, who must be a Lachokai Ratzon. God sustains every creature. One of the wonders of our world, of nature, God, is the way every creature is sustained in the food chain. It's only when man interferes that there are problems. It's just in the Canadian Rockies, right? You watch, watch the eagles fish in the morning. Salmon for breakfast. And when the eagle is done, then the bears come down to the river and they catch salmon. The salmon in turn feed on smaller fish, which in turn feed on algae, which in turn feed on other things. It's a whole, it's, it's, it's magic. To say that all of that happens at random, you really have to be a true believer. I say that the, those who don't believe, believe much more firmly than those who do believe. Because you really have to believe. So uh, you have uh, this great verse that symbolizes God's control over this world. God, so to speak, opens his hand. Must be on the whole high, and every living thing in the world has its sustenance from God's hand. So we think that we eat from the supermarket, but we eat from God's hand. Rotso, and the Lord does it, so to speak, out of goodwill, voluntarily, as an act of grace to sustain life. So that opens us up to the great question, I mean, what does God need all of this for, right? But mildly, we are nudniks. So what does he need it all for? Now that's God's problem, not mine. But we see from the Gomorrah that verses that are written in alphabetical order, so to speak, have a unique and special quality. The simple explanation is because it's easy to memorize that way. 
our associative memory, all of Torah is based on associative memory. All of Talmud is based on associative memory. You'll see many times in the Gemara, the Gemara will say, Rava will say something. And then all of a sudden the Gemara will go off on a tangent and discuss 15 other subjects, and what unites it is the fact that Rava said them all. It's not the subject matter, it's because it clicked in, in the brain. Rava, oh yeah, Rava said this too, Rava said that too, he said this too. The entire Talmud, the Torah Shabbat is associative memory. The ability to put things together. So the Aleph base is the key to associative memory. So if I get it in. So in Yiddish there was a phrase that he knew something the way a Jew knows Ashrei. Every Jew knew Ashrei. Why? Because we say three times a day, it goes in alphabetical order. If you lose your way, right? Then you forget. So you remember that the next boss starts with a Zion. So you say, Zecher. You close Zecher, right? And then you're able to mere fact that it's an alphabetical order. So here also, the Novi wanted this to be memorized. He wanted to, in a way, the prophecy was that God knew that uh, we were going to have 2,000 years of troubles, and this book would last. It's not a book about one occurrence. It's a book about the faith of the Jewish people in history. So therefore, it was written in alphabetical order, so uh, that it would be remembered. I have to also remember that we're talking, uh, there's no printing press. Having handwritten scrolls is a luxury. Not only handwritten scrolls, I, uh, when I grew up uh, shortly after the American Civil War, so the... Uh, Very few people had a copy of the Talmud in their house. They could afford it. Who had it? My father, Shalimu well, tells me that in his yeshivas in Eastern Europe, when he was a student in Brodne by Rabshim and Shkot, the yeshiva didn't have a full set, a full set of the Talmud. So what Shimon did is he went around and he took the young men that had the best memories. And he had them memorize, memorize an entire tractate of the Talmud, so that if you found in Tosfos there was a reference that is Gemara, and the Gemara is not on the shelf, so you didn't have to go anywhere. You went to a person, and he told you what the Gemara said. That's 1920. That's not 1650. Today, you know, every bar mitzvah kid's got 28, uh, you know, you've got, you got an art school shop, a Steinjelm shop, and this shop, and that shop. There's nothing left for your father-in-law to buy for you. <laughs> you may have to end up just taking the girl. <laughs> Which is the only way to look at it, by the way, my friends. So, uh, he intended that people should know this, and they would have to know it by heart. So therefore, that's the order of the Alambays that exists here. Uh, that four of the five chapters follow the Alambays. 
Gemara itself asks that in one chapter, the tzaddik is before the pay. It's out of order. The Gemara has a whole drosha about it. So the Gemara is interested in text. Basically, the Gemara always is based upon text. What does the text say? And why did they use this word, and why did they use that word? And why is it repeated, and why is it not repeated? And why does it have an extra letter, and why doesn't it have an extra letter? So we are loyal to text. So therefore, in the text, when we see that the olive base is out of order, so then we have to come up with an explanation as to why it is. The fifth chapter it is not in any order. The fifth chapter is written in response to the Churban. So, uh, therefore, it is to a great extent uh, chaotic. It reflects the trauma. The fifth chapter also has 23, 22 uh, verses to it, rather, but it does not have any alphabetical order. That's the chapter that is in response to uh, the witness chapter, so to speak, in response to the actual destruction that the Nabi sees in front of his eyes. Now, the book of Eicha, so this week I'm going to talk to you about Eicha, next week we'll talk about the Kino, about the additional prayers and poems and analogies that have been written over the centuries. But the book of Eicha is the basis for the Kino. Cannot really understand what the poets who wrote the keynote wanted if you don't understand what the Book of Echo wants. And it's based upon the verses and based upon the language and based upon the ideas and values that are reflected in the book. So the Book of Echo is the keystone. And if uh, for whatever reason, person finds oneself in a position where one cannot recite the keynote, doesn't have a copy of it or something, or it's stuck out somewhere in the wilds. The Book of Echo should be read anyway. But the Book of Echo is the main centerpiece of Tishimov, so to speak. The Novi in the first chapter compares the grandeur of Jerusalem to what happened to Jerusalem. The city that was so well populated, the city that was the uh, great city in the world, now sits Bodod, means alone, isolated, forlorn. Nobody there. Now, one of the ideas that we find throughout Tanakh is that the city of Jerusalem is personified. It's not just streets and stones and buildings. It's an entity. It exists as a soul, as emotion to it. So he says the city, which he will describe later as being like a mother whose children have been taken from her, God forbid. So the city weeps. It's not only the people that weep, it's the city that weeps. One of the uh, strengths of the Jewish people over all the ages was their attachment to Jerusalem, even though they never saw it. And one of the ironies of our time is uh, that there are many Jews who are willing to uh, 
forego Jerusalem even though they can see it today. Because Jerusalem is a religious idea. It's not a national idea. It's not an idea built upon uh, uh, nationalism, uh, built upon territory. It's a religious idea. The attachment to it is a religious attachment. When the religious attachment is cut, severed, so then eventually uh, the other uh, connections to it also begin to fall. The city is like a widow. Because I'll portray a widow, God forbid. So a woman, as long as her husband was alive, so she had station in life also. But now that the husband is dead, and she's alone, so it's very difficult to, for her to have any statement. That's why Chazal said, Ein al meitzel ishto, ein isha meitzel l'abama. Spouse is the one that takes trauma of loss. Children go on. Build their own lives. But the bond, the marriage of the spouses, that is separate. That's the reason why in Havotha, that for parents, children have a one year mourning period. Whereas for a husband and a wife and other relatives, Morning period is only 30 days. And before she explained, because psychologically, a widow is going to always be a widow, 50 years from now, too. So, therefore, 30 days is sufficient. But children move on. And they would forget completely that their father is gone or that their mother is gone. Therefore, the rabbis imposed, so to speak, a long period of mourning, a year of discipline, so that somehow the parent will still live at least that year in the hearts and minds of his children. There's a Jew by the name of Leon Weisseltyler, who is the literary editor for the New Republic and is a very famous uh, left-wing liberal author and he's a great writer, even though you need uh, the Oxford English Dictionary at your side to read anything that he writes. Now, he wrote a book. Not uh, He was once a student in the yeshiva. In his youth, he comes from a very orthodox family. And he attended the yeshiva in New York, and then he decided that he doesn't want. His father died. He and his father had a very, very strained relationship, but his father remained uh, a Holocaust survivor, an Eastern European Jew, an observant Jew. And here he has this brilliant son that has gone off and originally even married a non-Jewish woman. And when his father died, for various reasons, he decided that he would keep the cottage for his father for the entire year. And he joined the Orthodox Synagogue in uh, Washington, D.C., based in Washington. And then he wrote a book about it. But the name of the book is Kaddish. 
It's a fabulous book. First of all, he did research. If you want to know anything about the Kaddish, it's there. Because he has a background. Looked up all the Rishonim, all the Achronim, all the customs, everything. It's all there. But more than that is his personality, his soul, what happened to him. And at the end of the book, if Art Scroll would write it, at the end of the book he would put on a strangle and we would all live happily ever after. But that's not the real world. So he doesn't become an observant Jew, but he becomes much more of a Jew. Like all of a sudden, the only way I can phrase it is like he gets it. He understands what it's all about. And afterwards he divorced his non-Jewish wife. And he is uh, much, uh, much more accessible for Jewish things than he was before. But he writes this book, What the Year Did for Him. And, you know, it's uh, for someone who is, for instance, not accustomed to attending synagogue, and now you have the discipline that you have to go to the synagogue every morning and every night for a year, and you're always looking for a minion. And if you take a trip, you have to plan it so that you come to a place that has a place where you can say Kaddish. So that's really, you know, the rabbis really laid it on you. But that's the reason why. He understands that. That's the only way he makes peace with his father. The only way he makes some sort of peace with himself. So that's Hoysok Almono. The city of Jerusalem is a will. There's a great Sadiq here in Yerushalayim by the name of Rabbi Aryeh Levine. Uh, there's a book about him, Hish uh, Sadiq Oyah. Sukharaz has been translated to English. He was, you know, Judaism and Jews are two separate things. Never confuse the two. But sometimes the Lord in every generation provides us with people where the Jew and Judaism are identical. And he was one of those personages. So uh, when the late chief rabbi uh, Isaac Alevi Herzog died, so after he died, Abariye would go every Shabbos in the morning after davening to visit Rabbi Herzog's widow, Rebetzin Herzog. Because as long as the Rabbi Herzog was alive, so then hundreds of people would come to the house for Kiddush, the honor of having Kiddush with the chief rabbi. And now that he's dead, nobody comes. So if nobody comes, so that every Shabbos he dies again for her. So he would organize and bring people every Shabbos for Yiddish by Rebbets and Herzog so that she would have, she would have the sense of uh, continuity. So that's Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim is Hoysok Almona. It's a widow. Rabosi Bagoyim, the great city amongst the nations of the world. Jerusalem is one of the wonders of the world. 
and millions of tourists okay and in the temple in Jerusalem there was a concert every day the Levium performed 365 days a year Shabbos, Yom Kippur it's famous for musical instruments and it's choir people came from all over the world to hear it and Morris says that even in the at the end of the second temple, at the time of Herod the Great, if, they, if the Jews heard about a, uh, a great uh, singer, or somebody with a wonderful voice, they would uh, get hold of them. It's like the, uh, the Israeli basketball teams are allowed to have uh, a number of foreigners play for them. So every Israeli black, every Israeli uh, basketball team has two or three seven-foot blacks playing for them. Sometimes they really want to have the guy, and they're over the limit already, so they convert him. There's a special uh, basketball rabbinical court. <laughs> Sometimes the converts really mean it. I remember uh, eight, ten years ago here in Arsamea, uh, I gave a lecture, and in front of me was sitting this enormous person, over 300 pounds, I was like 6'11". He was black, and he was taking notes and everything, you know. Afterwards, he came over to me, we talked, you know, he was, uh, he was a star center in the University of West Virginia. And, uh, he uh, had a tryout in the NBA. He didn't make it. So he played in the Continental League, and then he was signed by uh, one of the Israeli teams here. And they were over the limit, so they had him converted by some rabbi in America. And then when he came here, he really liked it. And then he, he really converted, and he, he's living in Israel now. Yeah, he's a, he's a full Jew, etc. So they had the same system, you know, like they heard Luciano Pavarotti. Oh, good, we got this. So they went and converted Pavarotti, and they brought him to Jerusalem to sing in the choir. It's a Gomorrah. I'm not making it up. So everybody in the world came here. It was full. And I was saying, we suffer from that now. You know, the, the, you walk down the hotels in Jerusalem, everything's all empty. Stores are empty, the restaurants are empty. More than anything else, that is played upon our mood. Because then you feel isolated and alone. Nobody comes. And that's his description of Jerusalem. So Rossi Bambinos, the noble woman, said Jerusalem is always feminine. God is masculine, so to speak, throughout the Bible, and Israel, and the Jewish people, and the land of Israel, the people that we're always feminine. Because we're the recipients. We're the Makabe. Oiso Lamas. So it is now enslaved. Ocho Sivke Balayla. Weeps at night. The demon saw Alechio, and its tears are never wiped away. That's the imagery. You know, God forbid, you know, you'll have 
when you have a child, and God forbid the child will cry and holler, etc. So the first thing you do when you comfort the child is you wipe off the child's eyes, you soothe him. But if there's no one to comfort, there's no one to soothe, so then the tears remain. There is no one that is willing to comfort her. Not Kofi Annan, not uh, Moritemos, not all the other great people in the world. Nobody cares. Blow you up left and right. No one cares. Mikol Oaveho. All of her lovers. The portrait of Israel in the Novi is always that of an unfaithful woman, of a promiscuous woman. We are married, so to speak, to God, the Sinai, but we like to play around. So we have a lot of lovers. And the problem is that Israel took the lovers seriously. Didn't realize it. Just a one night stand. Doesn't mean anything. And therefore, at the moment of crisis, there's nobody that cares. Mikolo Avel, from all of her lovers, there's nobody that cares about her. All of her friends, they have proved the treacherous. Or you the friends are enemies. So the Novi here, uh, that's the indictment of the society. Trusted in others who really were its enemies and not its friends. Now this verse, to weep at night, is the origin of the ancient Jewish custom called Tikkun Chatzot. Tikkun Chatzot meant that Jews at midnight would gather and mourn over the destruction of the temple and the loss of the land of Israel. So today you don't see it very much, even in uh, even in Haredi circles. I remember my grandfather used to uh, every night have Tikkun Chatzot. So imagine a Jew never slept through a night. I'm at that level too now, but it's a different problem. It has nothing to do with this. You never sleep through a night. Get up. That's what preserved uh, Jerusalem and the land of Israel. It was on that basis that Zionism had a chance. Zionism basically was a religious idea. The moment it lost its attachment to the religion, it began to wane. But if based on this verse, Bocho Sitke Malayla, you will weep at night. So the Jewish people had this custom of Tikkun Chatzot. Uh, in the middle of the night, to gather to mourn Jerusalem. Golsa Yehudia Meoni, Umeirov Avodah. Poverty caused Yehuda go into exile. So there are two kinds of poverty. There's actual poverty, 
So actual poverty is really a relative thing. There are people today who are poor and they're with $250 a year. Because you live in a neighborhood where everybody's making a million dollars a year. In my uh, younger days when I was a lawyer, I always drove good cars. I would trade them in. I never had a car more than two years. I became a rabbi, so two things happened. First of all, I couldn't afford it, which probably was the main reason. The second reason is it doesn't look good for a rabbi. Rabbi always uh, has to be a step uh, more conservative, right? So I used to have members in my shul that drove Maseratis and Lexus, etc. I never drove more than a Chevy or a Ford. You have to be careful. Because once you're in the public eye, uh, then it's a different lifestyle completely. But I remember that uh, I always felt good. I had a good car, except that my neighbor always had a better car. So then my car is not a good car. So poverty is relative. But spiritual poverty is absolute. The emptiness inside of a person. Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? What's the meaning of this? How do I deal with life's problems? Because we all get blindsided by life. That's a different poverty. So the poverty here is this double poverty. They were poor because they were envious of others. They never had enough. Rabbi said, Who is a wealthy person, somebody that has a sense of satisfaction, satisfied with what he has. He can say, I have enough. Most people never get to the stage of enough. Jackie Mason has an act in which uh, the Jew builds this uh, 68 room house in the Hamptons in Long Island and he makes a Hanukkah Sabayas and everybody comes and, ooh, ah, ah. And then the guy gets up and he says, Oh, this is nothing. Wait till you see the next one I do. Because this one already is nothing. But that's a different type of poverty. So the Jewish people went into exile because they were not satisfied and because they were spiritually empty. And from working too hard. We're all workaholics. We live in a workaholic world. Everybody takes home work from the office. But we don't have time. We don't have time for ourselves. We don't have time for our family. I remember again that uh, when I became a rabbi and I gave up the law and I became a rabbi in Miami Beach. So uh, my son then was a little boy. He was five or six years old. And uh, I, took, I used to take him to shul with me, and one of the leading members of the congregation asked him, he said, Hi, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I want to be a rabbi. So he said, why? He says, because he never has to go to work. <laughs> because it's true, I used to come home every day for lunch. I used to come home and do homework with the kids. When I was a lawyer, I used to leave 6 in the morning and come home 10 at night. I went the whole week without seeing them. So, part of the exile is merov how, how does one find the balance? 
all of Torah is balance. And everybody has to find their own balance because my balance is not your balance. Yoshva Bagoy that sits amongst the nations of the world, right? They thought, oh, look, we're just like everybody else, right? We're just like Venezuela. One lots of Manoach, and it found no rest there. No satisfaction. The Jewish state is a pariah. The Jewish people are uh, expendable. All those who wanted to pursue her were able to catch her. Benamitsorim in the narrow places. So Benamitsorim became the description of the three weeks. That's called in Jewish tradition Benamitsorim. Between the narrow places. The tight places where there's no escape. No room to maneuver. The roads of Zion are in mourning. So again, we find the Novi always personifies. We're not talking here about inanimate objects. We're talking about things that somehow have their own personality and their souls. So the roads themselves mourn. Because there are not those who come to celebrate the holidays, come to walk the road to Jerusalem. All the gates to the city are desolate. The priests, the Kohanim, all are depressed. They all sigh in depression. Ananobi has very little compassion for the priests because he saw them as being corrupt. We saw in the Haftorah that we read on Shabbat that the Novi said, HaKohanim lo'omru ayei Hashem. The Kohanim never mentioned God's name. They were so busy with the details of the sacrificial uh, service that they didn't say that God was out of the picture. My Rebbe used to say that in back of the Shulchan Aruch is God. Eventually, you have to face God. And even though uh, Judaism is a religion of detail and of observance and of punctilious observance, one should never lose sight that we eventually are dealing with God. And that gives us a much broader perspective. Uh, you have to be able to see the forest and not just the trees. They have a breath of vision. The Kohanim, Hashem, the guy, you know, nobody ever talked about God. They talked about, you know, Shorshanogach Sapora, you know, oxen and, uh, and this thing and that thing, right? How big the history has to be, all of which is important, don't get me wrong. But they never talked about God. And in the Jewish education, we could stand an improvement in discussing God, too. Sulosehu nugos. 
young girls, Jewish young women, are desolate. There's no one to marry them. Men have been taken away. Obviously, the Navi uh, was written before the glorification of the singles culture, which is also destroying the Jewish world. The lack of the ability to commit to something. Every marriage is a risk. The girl that you marry isn't going to be the one that you know 20 years down the line. You'll grow and she'll grow. But that's, you know, that's common. That's how it's supposed to be. You know, they have no one to marry. Not only that, unmarried women, especially in ancient times, were fair game for all sorts of sexual abuse and exploitation. The reason that polygamy was allowed in Jewish life even though it was never really practiced to any great extent. But it was allowed because it, it protected women who otherwise would have no protection. In a time when that was, uh, when it was very, very necessary. And Moore tells a story about someone of Tanoim that he'd been married 30 women because he wanted to get them all out of jail, right? And the only way to get out of jail was they had a husband. So he never lived with them, etc., but, you know, it was allowed because that was, the, that was the vehicle by which they could be saved. The he marvel, and it's bitter. So bitter is a great word because if you ever ate anything bitter, or drank something bitter, the taste lingers. There's an aftertaste of bitterness. So here, even after the event, the Imarla is bitter. The bitterness remains. This concludes this lecture. J.M. and the A.M. It's Tisha above morning. We continue with Ribera wine and the subject of Eicha, the Megillah that we read on... Uh, on Tishabov at JM in the AM. One of the constant themes in the uh, Megillah of Eicha is the uh, memory of what uh, Yerushalayim once was. It's the sense of loss. And really, uh, psychologically, in human life, the lingering effects of tragedies, God forbid, is always the sense of loss, the sense of what once was and no longer is. So we see, for instance, in Possum Zion, Zohra Yerushalayim Yemeyonya Umrudeha. Yerushalayim in its exile remembered how the Churban occurred, remembered that it once was great and that now it is brought low. All of the beloved things, all of the good things that Yerushalayim had in previous years are all gone. 
in the full Amodiyat sword, the people have fallen into the hands of the enemy. Bain Ozerlo, and there is no one to help. I, I've always felt that to uh, really have the background for the book of Eicha, one has to know a little of the book of Yirmiyahu, it's the, the prophecies of Yirmiyahu himself. And uh, Yirmiyahu, uh, in his prophecies, uh, decries the reliance of the kings of Yehuda on help from foreign governments, especially from Egypt. Uh, Ju Judah had an alliance with Egypt, and in the event that the uh, Babylonians attacked, uh, the Egyptians were supposed to come to the aid of Yehuda. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, aware of the alliance, attacked Egypt first, and in all practical sense, destroyed the Egyptian army. And then, so, uh, then when he came up from the south, from Egypt, to conquer Judah, there was no one left to come to the aid of Yehuda. But the Nazi cautions that even if Mitzrayim would have been there, they wouldn't have come to help. That all the promises are only on paper, but that you can't rely on them. And in fact, we see in the Nazi that he mocks them, and he says, well, where are all of your friends? Where's everybody that was going to support you? Where are your lovers? Meaning the nations of the world. And uh, there's a, uh, all of these words are said in prophecy, so there's an eerie sense here of the isolation of Jewish people in times of terrible trouble, such as the Second World War, the Holocaust, or uh, the Six-Day War in 1967, or to even a lesser extent today, but still to some extent, our situation in the world today. A knows everyone. Nobody's come to help you. Nobody's interested in your case. Rauhu Tsarim, oppressors, enemies, saw the situation of the, of the Jewish people, and they laughed over uh, the uh, destruction of the land of Israel and uh, Jerusalem, the Jewish people, and not, they were not, not only were they not concerned, they enjoyed it. So anyone who has read uh, any books on the Holocaust, there are a number of books I think that should be read, painful as they are to read. One is by Martin Gilbert, called The Holocaust. And the other is uh, The War Against the Jews uh, by Lucy Davidovitz. And then the third book is Edith Wiesel's book called Night. Uh, I think that those three books will uh, more than suffice. But the, it's, it's the utter desperation of being alone, of being laughed at, of being mocked, which the Novi describes here, the symbol of the Purim.
not enough in terms to the question of why. The question of why is always uh, the most difficult question to answer. They say uh, that there once was a philosophy exam at the Sorbonne, and the professor put on the blackboard one question, why? And there only were two correct answers possible. One correct answer was because, and the other was why not. So why does not have easy answers, especially when we deal with the inscrutable uh, God who infinitely defies our finite sense of logic and of fairness. So we don't know why. And because we don't know why, so then the problem is compounded. So then it becomes a matter of faith. Being able to accept, so to speak, God's judgment, whether it be on a personal level, God forbid, or on a national level. Those people who give glib uh, answers to why know, for instance, why a Holocaust occurred, in my personal opinion, are doing us a great disservice, as well as being very arrogant. Because how do they know God's mind? So here the noting says that again you have to see it in the backdrop of his constant orations to the Jewish people. For 25 years, he's telling them this is going to happen because of the fact uh, that you uh, are idolaters, because of the fact that you're corrupt, because of the fact that uh, all of the uh, servants of God are not godly. It's only a job. So, there's a sin involved here. And there always is a sin. But to identify the sin, one has to be a hoyosa, And therefore, it became someone that is excluded. It became an untouchable. All of those who previously gave honor to the Jewish people and to Jerusalem now treated her cheaply. She lost any stature in their eyes. Kiropu Ergosa. They have seen her nakedness. So here, this is an idea that we find in the Nevi'im all the time. Really, uh, the truth of the matter is that uh, there are very few people in the world who are attractive naked. That's why we have clothes. We have ambiance, we have atmosphere, that's why in a restaurant uh, it's always dark. Because the attraction is, uh, so to speak, in the impression rather than the reality. So in Tanakh, whenever they speak about nudity, they don't speak about it as being attractive, but rather as being, in a sense, repulsive. Glamour has been taken away. The mystery has been taken away. I just saw a, uh, an article, uh, I think it was 
in the magazine of the New York Times uh, about the rise of sexual dysfunction in our society. It's a, a great field to go into because there's almost no normal person left. And they attribute it simply to the fact that uh, uh, sexual immorality, uh, they're, they're, all the standards have been removed so that it's so exposed, and it's exposed uh, when a child is six, seven years old, uh, so that uh, in all of the knowledge, the sense of mystery is lost, and the sense of mystery is lost, and instead of becoming attractive, it becomes repulsive. I remember when I grew up, which uh, is a long time ago, but I still remember it, that uh, there's a Gemara in Ksubis, uh dealing with Aftes, uh, the first uh, block of Gemara. You'll notice the Gemara doesn't shy away from any subject. The Gemara sees human life as always being holy. Everything. We know any people in the world that make a, a blessing after coming out of the bathroom. There are no scatological jokes in Judaism. There are no obscenities in Hebrew. All the obscenities have to be borrowed from a different language. Because we view the human body and human behavior as essentially godly. And that includes uh, sexual behavior as well. So uh, the Gemara there discusses that if a man married, he marries a woman on the presumption that she's a virgin, and he finds that she's not a virgin. And so the Gemara discusses, you know, whether, whether, whether that's grounds for annulment, whether it's grounds for not paying the tzubit, or whatever, etc. Does it prove anything? Whole very difficult uh, block in the Gemara there. There are major league toasts in on it. It's one of the major wondish in Yonim, right? Well, we, we were 14 years old, and I'm telling you the truth. We were 14 years old, and we didn't know what the heck they were talking about. The Rebbe didn't explain it either. So that's like, you know, so I'm Neanderthal, right? Because today, any uh, four-year-old kid watching television knows already everything. There's no sense... There's no mystery left in life. And the loss of the sense of mystery that contributes to all sorts of dysfunctions. And the whole concept of Taras and etc., all of that was to keep the mystery going. But when it's all gone, so then, you know, it's just plain nothing. There's a famous uh, statement by the Klichemdo, Klichemdo, was written by a great Polish Don who lived in the early part of the 20th century. Mayor Don Plutsky was his name. He was a Don Olam. He was a tremendous, tremendous genius in learning, and he was an orator. He was one of the leaders of Polish Jewry. So he has a safer called Klichemda. And the Klichemda goes through every parsha of the Torah and discusses halachic. Uh, Topics that are found in the Parsha. But it does it in the Polish fashion, which means uh, that, that the real pupil, I mean, he could put the elephant through the eye of a needle. 
unlike the style of learning which today is popular in the yeshivas, which is uh, the brisk uh, Lithuanian style of uh, cold analysis, not given to uh, mental flights of fancy, but you should know that there were other types of learning as well. And it could be that your grandchildren will look at us and say, you know, what are we that wasn't learning, you know? That's not the derech. So I want you to know that there is one derech. So he's the master of the Polish derech. Anyway, once in a while he says a dvar He says, Ashkofa uh, theme in the parsha. So he says, for instance, in the Parsha of Rashis, so it says that after uh, Adam and Eve uh, have sinned, so it says, by, uh, the Rabboni Shalom says, where are you? And he says, I'm sorry, we're naked here. Can't appear before you. They both knew that they were naked. Until then, they didn't know they were naked. Now they knew they were naked. So Rashi says, what does naked mean? Rashi says they had one mitzvah, not to eat from the Eitzadas, not to eat from the tree of knowledge. And now they lost that mitzvah. So when the Tzachumish says they were naked, meaning that they were stripped of their mitzvah. So when Mayor Don asks, they had another mitzvah. They had the mitzvah for a they had the mitzvah to, to live together and bring children into the world. That mitzvah they still had. So why did they say they were naked? So he says this insight. He says once they sinned, pur vu became just sex. It was not a mitzvah. It was like eating or sleeping. The element of emotion, of holiness, of, uh, of, uh, of godliness in the act, that was removed. So when it was removed, so they didn't have it anymore, right? So they were naked. They were stripped. So that's what the Novi says here. They saw your nakedness. So they were repelled by you, not attracted by you. Gam Jewish people themselves were brought to a great sigh. Now the word anocha in Hebrew, which literally means a sigh, is more than that. Because I'll say anocha shoveres chatsi gufo shavoda. A sigh breaks half the body of a person. So it's uh, we're talking about something that's wrenching. And she turned away. She was rejected by all of her lovers. Now, uh, let's skip a few sukkim to see another theme that the Navi always speaks about. What's a good base? Is there a uniqueness in Jewish suffering? Right? I mean, like it. Five million people have died in Africa over the last uh, decade in wars. Civil wars and uh, disease and malnutrition. Now, 
isn't that a Holocaust too? So the Novi addresses that. To me, what is most fascinating is that if the Novi stood before us today, he wouldn't have to change a word. He's talking about us, and not, you know. That's why the Megillah survived. You know, the Romans don't recite the analogy for the fall of Rome, and the Greeks don't have an analogy for the fall of Greece. And the people in Alexandria don't bemoan the fall of Alexandria. Even the South admits that the Civil War is over. So why do we keep it going? The answer is because if we're talking about current events, there's nobody in the world today that uh, really wants to bring down Rome or Italy or Athens or Greece or it tends to blow up Atlanta, you know, that's not. But we're still where we were. We're as vulnerable as ever, if not more vulnerable. You are passerby. You just pass by in history. You walk by. So don't compare yourselves to me. Is there a pain like my pain? Is there suffering like my suffering? Does anyone have a history of such suffering? That the Rabboni Shalom has brought upon me. That the Lord has created, He's breathed upon me. On the day of his anger. So here the Navi speaks to the uniqueness of Jewish experience. So in the Yud Zion, Parasot Sion Biodeho, Zion has spread out its hand in desperation. Pain Menachem and there is no one to comfort him. Again, the same theme repeated. Sivo Hashem Le'akov, Sivo Tzoro. It is surrounded by enemies. Oisa Yerushalayim Lenido Benei. Tzadiku Hashem Kifiyu Maris. So there's a concept called Siduk Hadin. Siduk Hadin, in its formal sense, is the prayer that's recited at every funeral, God forbid which we accept God's judgment, even, even though we never answer the question, why? So it's one thing, the, uh, I've been a rabbi for a long, long time, so everything, you, you see everything. It's not easy to deal with. It's one thing, a person reaches an advanced age, so we're all mortal. God forbid children or young people or especially tragic circumstances. So then what do you say? So there's this concept of tzidukadim. That somehow we accept God's judgment even though we don't understand it. We may not even approve of it, but we accept it. Now, uh, Mincha and Shabbos, if we 
we recite a portion of Tzidik Adin, Tzidkos, Tzedek, Leolom, the three Pesukim that are uh, said after the Shemona Esra. That's because both Moshe Rabbeinu and David HaMelech died Shabbos Mitzvah. So we accept, we accept mortality. That's basically what we accept, right? Now in Simchas Torah, there is a poem that uh, was recited in most Ashkenazic synagogues, but because by then everybody is already half cooked, you know, everybody's so happy that nobody notices what the poem says. Or no one reads the poem. But the poem says, Moshe makes Milo Yomus. If Moshe Rabbeinu died, then who will not die? So the poem stresses the essential mortality of all of us. So this, so uh, the Novi here is Mazdik Nadin, Tzadik Hashem. God is right. I don't know how, I don't know what, but he's right. Kipiu Morisi. Because I have rebelled against his words. So the idea that also uh, is throughout the uh, Megillah is that there is, uh, that there are consequences for everything. No free lunch. The price. Again, without presuming to read God's mind, but I'm convinced that the Intifada and all the other troubles that we have, you know, that's all, uh, you know, there's a, you can't behave the way a lot of the Jewish people have behaved over the last uh, century without paying a price. There is a price. Last week's Parshas. We read the irresistible urge to sermonize. But last week's parshas, we read that the Jewish people killed Bilam. Right? Killed the five kings of Midian, and they killed Bilam. So why did they pick out Bilam? I mean, why did they kill Bilam? Who uh, hired Bilam? Why is Bilam the uh, symbol of uh, the enmity towards the Jewish people. The Meshe Chochma, the Meir Simcha, the Orsameach, so he uh, says, great insight, and Bilon came and told the Jewish people a posset that we recite in Rosh Hashanah in the Musaf Monastery, Mohibit Oven Beako, God does not see the evil of Jacob. He does not see the corruption that may exist in Israel. Hashem Imo, the Lord God, is with the Jewish people. The Druas Melechbo, and the trumpet of the king is sounded with the Jewish people. It's a great posset. But in effect, what he said was, you know, God doesn't care. Do whatever you want, right? God doesn't see anything wrong. Well, he be done in the Yaakov. He doesn't see that you did anything wrong. What are you worried about? Why are you so nervous? Does God really care whether your tzitzes have eight strings or seven strings? Have you ever heard that before? 
you will. Not caring whether you eat meat and milk together. Lobster, what does he care, right? You know, why should God care about anything? He's got a lot of problems. He's got to run his own universe, right? Got to make sure a meteor doesn't hurt hit the earth. So does he really care? Does he care what two consenting adults do? That's what Bilaam said. Well, he be dominant, be Akko, Moromo, be Israel. God doesn't see anything at all, right? So, therefore, uh, they had uh, a uh, permission from Bilaam. So then, when the daughters of Midian came, so they said, Well, you know, we'll have a good time because God really doesn't care. Don't make a difference. It makes a difference. I live with, a, with, a, with this daughter of Midian or not. It's just a fling. And that, that's how he destroyed the section of the Jewish people. Undermined them because he told them that there are no consequences. So there are consequences. Now again, no one can, short of a nobody, uh, can uh, describe for us the consequences. But there's no doubt that there are consequences. So that's what the Nodi says here. Sadi Hashem Marisi, I have done wrong. So I have to pay the price. Shimuno Kalaamin, Uri Mahovi. See my pain. What is the pain? Basulosai Bahurai Ohu Bashev. My young men and young women are taken away from me in captivity. So the, uh, the great tragedy always in Jewish life is the loss of the next generation. I had uh, dinner last night uh, with my cousins from uh, Los Angeles. And we were, uh, our wives, and we were making a reckoning of what happened to our collective family. We and I are the only ones that have religious children or grandchildren. Only ones that really remain Jewish. We have, uh, I have many uh, cousins, once removed, twice removed, who are not Jewish. And I'm certain that uh, that experience is uh, widespread in American Judaism. How could that happen, right? My grandfather was uh, Rosh Yeshiva, he had a Baloshin, and a Rav. How did that happen to us? And that's a tragedy. So our personal tragedy is part of the greater tragedy. And so the tragedy is that, that you know, that, that the next generation got swept away. My Rebbe used to say that uh, how can you measure success in life? So he used to say if your grandparents and your grandchildren are both proud of you, then that's made it pretty well. Then. You think about it, you'll see that's true. Lord, I bless you. You'll get to my age, you'll appreciate it more. I used to tell this to 14-year-olds that it was completely wasted. 
Now it's only thirty uh, percent rest. But uh, you get older, you'll uh, you know, you'll get it. So that's the Novi decries. I've lost my children. It's estimated that uh, nine out of ten Spaniards have some Jewish blood in them. All good practicing Catholics. There were uh, at least 25,000 Jewish children during the Holocaust were taken and converted to Catholicism. Europe was full of Jews. I was in Prague, I spoke to the uh, Rosen Prague. Rosen Prague, by the way, is a convert to here. The Czech was a uh, close friend of uh, the President uh, Havel. So anyway, he told me that he said, I, you know, we were talking about the Jewish community of Prague. So he says there's 1,500 Jews that he knows are Jews, that are real Jews. There are 5,000 people who claim to be Jewish. But he said there are 50,000 people who could be Jewish. So that's what the Novi decries. That, that's what the... That's the subject here of the tragedy. Orosi lemaahavai, I called my lovers. Hema rimuni, they cheated me. They, uh, when I needed them, they're not there. Kohanai uskenai boir gavo. Jam in the AM or by Barrel Wine is uh, educating us, informing us, and keeping us in the right mood today with his uh, discussion about Eichel. We'll continue. Uh, we'll continue our discussion and the lecture about Eicha, the centerpiece of the um, Tishabov evening service, the Megillah that really uh, expresses what this day is all about. And we'll have more coming up at JM in the AM. Traditionally, we uh, do not greet each other on Tisha B'Av, so I will not officially greet Rabbi Goldwasser, but he will join us in a moment when he um, gives us his first words about kinnas after I read the first kinna that we're going to be covering this morning. Every year we offer for those, uh, especially on the weekdays, uh, when Tisha B'Av is um, on a weekday and it's very difficult for some people to um, take off an entire day or an entire half a day in order to be in shul for Kinnis. And often they find themselves running through Kinnis uh, separately or privately. Uh, so we started tradition many, many years ago where a Kinnis service and a bridge service would take place on this program live every single year. And I thank Rabbi Goldwasser for doing it with me. My responsibility is to chant the kinnah and to remind people what they should be saying. And and that while I do an abridged version, they certainly are encouraged to read the entire thing. All of kinnahs, if possible. And Rabbi Goldwasser, through the uh, specific kinnah that we are reading, gives an overview, an explanation, puts us in the right mood. 
for Tishabov this year, especially because people are, um, in many cases, staying away from shul and from public places in general, understandably so, as we go through this pandemic. So this service has become even more important, and there are so many, Baruch Hashem, so many different ways to spend Tisha B'Av in an effective manner. Uh, I'm proud to say that this is one of them, and uh, this is one that is text-based, and the one that is... um, very uh, something very good and important to include in your morning of Tishabov. We start with uh, before we turn to Rabbi Goldwasser. We start we start with uh, Kina number six, as it's known, Shavas Suru. Shavas Suru many shimuni ovrai schiumos hasimuni bedre chaverai. Sakosa Mishkan Mishos Divirai, Sakosa Vuhuvlagu Giborai, Safkucha Fumadu Evorai, Kesiloho Abirai, Naflo Dainu Bitsuduya, Aini Hiksa Lachazon Ben Berechia, Adpile Gilgol Havuya, Ainim Olavas Bivanis Nehuya, Asav and Icham Akraliv Hia. Vinam al Ela ani evochia. Kitam achakta bechais of anecha. Toshiv lahem gemol, cause chazos panecha. Tirdof with salmon yarte altsunecha. Titain lahav hev no setse peninecha. Tikral a shakram, cause kamus befinecha. Tavo horra sam befonecha. Rabbi Goldwasser. It is especially a chizuk as a source of encouragement and inspiration to be united together with all of the listeners throughout the world to the morning program, what is to give us, as the Chazal tell us, a measure of comfort on Tishabov and certainly throughout the year and this past Kufa, the past period of time, that all of Klal Yisrael has been on edge. Here we have, as we just heard beautifully chanted, Shavasuru that everything came to a stop. We were affected by the absence of the Beis Amikdosh. Now, you would think, okay, the Beis Amikdosh isn't here. Life goes on. People eat. People drink. We still make weddings. We still make bar mitzvahs. And everything just continues. But it wasn't so. Because the Beis Amikdosh represented the life-giving source, the power pack of Klal Yisrael. When it was no longer in existence, Klal Yisrael was no longer the same. In Pirkei Avos, we learned that one of the Nisim that happened was that the smoke from on top of the Mizbeach did not be, it was not dispersed, but rather it would go up straight in the column. Shavasuru. But at this time, everything stopped. The holy city of Yerushalayim was so affected. And I would like to draw a parallel to our current situation, and it should only be good around the world. A lot of times we take a shul for granted, 
a base medrash, a yeshiva, a synagogue. Okay, it's nice to have a shul, but I tell you the truth, I didn't wake up every morning uh, to go to Davling, or I wasn't always as careful maybe to be there when I should have been. Shavasuru, all of a sudden, the shuls were closed. All of a sudden, everybody had to find where to daven, to daven at home in quarantine. Then we began to realize what the shul means to us. Then we began to say, I can't believe that I can't go there. I can't believe that I can't do with my chaverim. I can't believe that I can't celebrate a simcha together with everybody. Shavasuru. We have an additional insight in perspective this year as to what happened when the base of Mikdash was destroyed. One very interesting idea is that even at the time when the base of Mikdash was destroyed, the people that were not right there did not hop the matzav. They didn't understand the gravity of the situation. On the other side of Tor Malka, we heard that people were rejoicing. They were singing and they were dancing. Even the fact that the Besamikdash had burnt didn't reach them yet. They didn't understand. And so, too, the fact that we are how many years after the Chog Besamikdash after the destruction of the temple, and we ourselves are still held responsible for it because we have to be the builders. We're the ones that have to be interested to do the tshuva, to repent, to ask Hashem, build the base of Mikdash in our times. We are not guilt-free. As much as we would like to be, we are not guilt-free. We have to make sure that we do our part, that we have Abbas Yisrael, that we love every yid, regardless of their affiliation, regardless of what they think, regardless of how they look, regardless of their background. A person has to love every yid like their own brother and their own sister. The great Pratichur once said, we all have to build the base of Mikdash. We understand that. But to build the base of Mikdash, you need Mayim, you need water, you need Barzel. You need iron. You need avonim. You need to have stones. The Berditcher said, no problem. If you need iron, if you need the barzel, we who have been mechazek, we have, who strengthened ourselves and made a maimed until now, no matter what has happened, no matter what happened over the generations, no matter what happened in Mitzrayim, in the Inquisition, in Siberia, in Iran, Iraq, no matter the pikuim that happened in Eretz Yisrael, no matter what went on in Auschwitz and Birkenau and Treblinka and Mauthausen, Majdanek, no matter what happened during the Magefa during this past period, we have hearts of steel, of iron, so we could build it. And then finally says the great Bredichver, Mayim, we got plenty, plenty of water. Did the ma'ot that were cried by all the Yidin, throughout all the generations, throughout all the Tsaras, throughout all the people, Shinerek al Kiddush Hashem, through all the people, Lo Eleno al Kobes Yisrael, that passed on during this past Kufa, the best Yidin, the finest, the most respected, the most gentle, the most refined, that passed on. So we have enough tears. 
we say to Hashem, we have the materials that are necessary to rebuild the base of Mikdash. It's enough already. It's enough. Time to go home. Time to go to the Heligalan, to Yerushalayim or Kodesh. Time to ingather the exiles. The time has come. We continue with uh, Kina Yudalef number 11. Vayikonein Yirmiyahu al Yoshiyahu Eicha Eli Koninu Meilav Ben Shmona Shana Hechel Lidrosh Meilohav Ben Eicham B'Avram Chanu Alav Lo Huzkard Lo Sigoi Mifalav Gam B'Chol Malchai Yisrael Asher Kamu Ligdor Lo Kam Kamo Miyemos Avigdor Dalag Vochet Layitzanei Hador Asher Kamu Achar Hadel Aslistor Tamim Mikrechod, Kosmikidolishtos, Mwechnas Hashmito, Kikahake Leosos, Tolobeshim Ushtayam Eroshosos, Kisof, Duloecho, Beshim Ushtayam Osios, Osos, Kinos, Lubatomicholi, Ace, Kishochachimicholi, Zamosi, Kiload, Yahili, Roshati Vinosati Vinutashaholi. The Yakoine Nirmiyo Al Yoshio is a kina filled with sadness, but filled with a tremendous amount of chizuk as well. We know that Yoshio, he was brought up in a home of Avodazara of idol worship. They didn't know anything about Torah. His father and grandfather were Rishoyim. Not only did they sin, but they caused the multitudes to sin. When he was eight years old, his father, Amon, died. When he was 18 years old, he took over the kingdom. He was an individual that had no background. He had no Jewish education. He had no inspiration from his surroundings, but yet he understood that there was something greater than him, greater than this world, larger than we can imagine, and he began to look for Hashem. He did Tshuva Shlema, and he went all over Eretz Yisrael to bring people back to Tshuva, to be machzer them, to return them to Hashem. When he was 31, he went from house to house to get rid of the Avodah People tried to hide the Avodah They were so attached to it. Yoshio brought everyone back to Tshuva. He was a great man, and it just goes to give us encouragement. A person may say, I wasn't brought up in a religious family, or in my family they didn't learn a lot, or in my family uh, we weren't considered to be that important in the Jewish community. It doesn't matter. Everybody has the ability to become great. Our name is Yisrael. Yisrael is an interesting name. That's what they call all of us, Yisraelim. Yisrael begins from the littlest, littlest letter, the Yud. It ends with the tallest letter in the entire alphabet, the Lamed. It means that every Jew, no matter how significant, no matter how poor, no matter how unlearned, no matter where they came from, no matter how, how humble, no matter how modest, even they start out like a little youth, they can become a big lamed.
Unfortunately, Yoshio, the great Sadik, Paro at that time said that he wanted to pass through the land. But Yoshio took a Pasuk extremely too hard. He took it literally in the Torah. And that says that nobody should pass. No cherub should pass through your land. So he told Paro, no, you're not passing through. He didn't want to start up. He did not want to make war. He just wanted to pass through the land. Unfortunately, Yoshua did not consult with Yerbiyoanavi. He needed to consult on that halacha. And because of that, he died. He was killed by the army of Paro. 300 arrows went through the body of Yoshio. And so there is a kinna that all of us read, written none other than Yemiyoa Novi, who comes to tell us the great tragedy, the greatness of Yoshio, the greatness of what he did, and the very important idea that everybody should make sure to consult to make sure that they are following in their lives according to the dictates and the guidelines of Torah. The next kinna is identified as number 13, kinna yud gimel. Eiko omer kareis lo'av b'fetzach b'vris b'nam sarim ko'yel anetzach v'hein atzobul u'atzomai b'retzach lomo eluhim Zonach the Loneta, Eko, a gosh, Kesello, Lolorato Seho, Nel Hodko, Pitube do Seho, Vehena Todokru, Hefelach Rayo Seho, Yeshan Apeho, Bitson, Mariseho, Eko, Shivasho, Fros Eretz, Kosa, Seshes, Yamim, Lapil, Homolo, Oretz, Venatosho, Rim, Tavu, Oretz. Sorafu komoade el boret e koshuos asomeotor bechomar asher lachosim notor benatotupu frochai bachator admosai elohim yechoreftor. In the eko, the mekone asked, what happened to the power of ko? A can be, where is it at? What happened? Hey, Ko. That Ko is the mysterious Nefesh, is the self-sacrifice, which is so obvious and evident by each and every Jew throughout the generations. But it always protected us. It was the one that Yehuda Maccabee exhibited. It was the one that Esther Amalka exhibited. It was the one that Yehudas in the time of Hanukkah exhibited. All through the generations, it was able to protect us. Hey, Ko. What happened to it? What happened to Messiris Nefesh and the Chayalim in Eretz Yisrael? What happened to that Messiris Nefesh should protect us from any piguim, from all the terrorists? Eiko, that is the question that we ask, especially on Tisha B'Av. Why do we not merit to that extra measure of protection anymore? Eiko, as we say in the Kina, Siach Shishimoisios, that discussion of the 60 letters, which is the 60 letters of the premier bracha of that blessing of Berchus Goanim, the great priestly blessing, what happened to that koya? That is something that is so special. There are people today that go to pray even if it is not their particular nusach. They go where there is a 
Berchas Kohanim, where the Kohanim do bless the people just for that bracha. What happened to it? We realized that in the Golos, in the generations of the exile, that things disappear. We realize that things become not so simple anymore, that the divine protection that we need, we have to bring back in a person that cannot go within the ideas and guides of the Torah and the guidelines of the Torah, sometimes could lose that particular Shmira El Yona, the divine providence and protection that we have. In Perkyavos it says what happens if there's a wild animal that attacks, or there is a Magefa, and we see very direct steps that all of us have to take in order for that divine protection to be strong again. And so this kina helps us to understand Eiko. If there is such a thing that Klau Yisrael is in need of meriting divine protection, Eiko, how do we get it back? Eiko, Hashem asked when Cain killed Hevel, Hashem asked, where yet? When Adam Arishon went to hide after he did the first Avera, Hashem asked him, Ayaka, <laughs> Adam, uh, what, what's going on? What are you doing? You're hiding? But you know, it's an interesting thing. You and I, we also hide sometimes. Barana Rav Shach, the great Rosh Hashiva Ponovich, said one time that it was on uh, at the Tashlich, and somebody's hat blew off, and it blew beyond where the A-roof was. So he says he noticed the guy went, and like he was sneaking it, he got the hat, and he like quickly went, and he brought it back quickly. So Shach said to himself, he wondered, did the guy do it quick, that maybe Hashem wasn't looking during that time, but he like snuck it in, like you sneak in the baseball game? Is that what it was? I'm afraid that sometimes all of Klal Yisrael, we are the greatest. All of Klal Yisrael, each and every one of us wants to do so much in order to improve our Avodah Hashem. I haven't found a yid in today's world that didn't want to be better on some level. But sometimes we still do a little sneaking. And the Torah here says, Eiko, don't forget, we are deserving of that protection, and we got to get it back. Thursday morning, Tisha B'Av, we're with Rabbi Goldwasser, our live keynote presentation. We go to Kinnah number 17. Im tochal nanashim piryam olei tibuchim alalayli. Im tovashel nanashim rachamaniyos yuladim hamdudim tochim tochim alalayli. Im tigozna pas rosham v'sik sharna l'susim porachim alalayli. Im tidvak l'shon yonek l'cheich v'tzima on tzchichim alalayli. Im tizavar nal evenachas tisha kabin mocheiladim munochim alalayli. Im tukana shlosh meos yonekim al socha achas misuchim alalayli. Im tera ena rakos vanugos kulos al yad rav tabachim alalayli. Im tishkav nabein svotayim. Venos nedivim ishu bochim alayli. 
This kina is perhaps one of the most difficult of all the kinas to understand. We can well understand what happened when the great Zechariah Novi was killed and what that meant in the world. That, that we can well understand. But what's difficult is that Nashim, the women that were Rachmonios, that had great divine mercy, how is it that they could do such a destruction, moral and ethical fiber, never to result to cannibalism, never chas shalom, to eat from their own flesh? I found in the Yalkut this year something phenomenal. It did not mean that they ate the flesh of their children. It meant that they gave of their own flesh, that they gave of their own self, their physical bodies, they prepared so that the children would not starve. When we begin to understand the depth, without going into any graphic descriptions, of the Rahmanus of women, of the girls, of the tremendous power of the Nashim Sitkanios, to do that for their children is something unreal. That in itself, to me, is not just a kina. That in itself is a tefillah to Hashem. Look at the Nashim Rachmanias. During this past Pesach, I was asked, Ashayla, Sha'omed, Beruma, Shaloilo. I'm not sure that I ever had such a Shaila asked of me in all the years that I'm zochet to be together with Reb Nochum. And that is from a woman whose husband was smitten by the Magefa. And he was in a hospital in the city. He had contracted the virus, and I don't like to say the name. However, the doctors called her and said, it doesn't look good. The rule was that no family members were permitted to visit any of the people that had contracted this Magefa. However, they did permit in certain situations when it looked to be the end, they did permit the closest of kin to visit. However, they cautioned her. As much as they could dress the, her in the protective gown, in the face mask, in the helmet, in the shoes, in the bonnet, they could not guarantee her of her safety and protection. She said, I don't care about myself. Maybe if my husband will see me. Me there. Who knows? It'll be a chizik to him. And if it won't give him life, 
maybe it will give him a few moments of chizuk before he goes to Hashem. She went, she visited him, and she gave him the chizuk, and she survived. When we realize the tremendous power of Klal Yisrael, we could read this kinna with a smile, with chizuk, all the families, Whoever Chas Shalom was affected, it wasn't everybody affected in some way or other. They should have chizuk and know that Klal Yisrael showed their stuff during this past Magefa. The great Rabbi Levine says, we read in the Torah, Am Kishayarev, we're a stiff-necked people. Rabbi Levine says, how is it possible? I can't call you a name. I can't say Lashon Hara. I'm not allowed to say something that has to show them is derogatory. How could the Torah call us an Am Says Abayi Levine. It's giving us a praise. Am We are a nation that is strong. We are a nation that can pass through anything and we can walk out. We are a nation that no matter what happens in life, we remain strong with Hashem. Kinna 21 is next on our list of Kinnot for Tisha B'Av morning. Arzei halavanon adirei atorah balais reisin v'mishnah v'gemara giborei koach amala b'tarah damam nishbach v'nashesag vura hinam kedoshe harugei malchus hasarav al ele. Ani vochia veini nigra zos bezochria zakmara chemdas Israel klia kodesh nezer vatara teore lev kedoshim mesub misochamura yodugara mirishon lacheref birura kinefol goral arabban shimon poshat zavaro uvacha kinigzira gezira Rabban Shimon Chazar Ha'egmon Lahargo Benefesh Nutsu Rami Zera Aharon Shalal B'Vakashot Livkos Ben Hagvira Natal Rosho Nesano Al Arkuvo Sof Minorat Hora Samena Valena Vupival Piva Vagmura Noval Marpe Hamiskaber Batara Pizom Niknisalov Misom Mishunova Hamura Zival Havshit is Rosho Besar Haschira, Kiambo Rom Ruin of Sheikh Sivanavo Rosha Bushet A. C. Gielim Comtfilim Mitzvasboro Tuak Tiakov and his daze Olam Vieret. He spore Rot Sadik Rabbi Lazar Ben Shemwabach Ronon Herag Bamad Kira. Yo Mareb Shabos Hayaz, Man Kidush, Vaikadesh Vaikra. Cherif Shalfu Alav, Lohinichu Bachayim Ligamra, Yotzeson Nishmasob of Oralohim Yotzea, Yotzer Vitzartura, Kohena Vahohena Hosifubene Avlola knows to be Gora, Viskilos Refa, Herig Vichedic Miucholish Ara, Noseres me mena yochlu, Arayos Sep Hizura, Kazat Nufavisho Kachumot or for Yeva Hakfiro, Yeti, Vadunoi, Velo Yosifo, the Astra Mates. 
Birakayim Koshlos Chelik Yaakov the cedars of Lebanon, which are the strongest trees, are the tzaddikim and the noshim tzikonios. Hagon Rav Soloveitchik, Zechit Tzadik Mivracha, points out that we say our Zehavonon, we mention Yasar Aruge Malchus both on Yom Kippur and also on Tishabov. One is a slicha and one is a kinna. We mention their names both times because it is a schus for all of us to realize that the tremendous merit of the Yasara Ruge Malchus shields over all of us, protects us, and continues to provide an example of what Mesira Snefesh is for Kal Yisroel. In the past year, we have lost a number of great tzaddikim in Noshim Tzidkaniyos, the great Novominsker Rebbe, Zechot Tzadik Vivrocha, during the Magefa, the great Rosh Hashiva of Aaron Wolken, great Sadik, lived in Lakewood, impacted on so very many people. The great Sadik Hagon Rav Shmuel Miller, the son of the great Rabbi Victor Miller, and then, as it says, Chotu B'Kiflayim, Loko B'Kiflayim, Klal Yisrael had a double, double whack, and that is that the Rosh Hashiva's Rebetzin, Rebetzin Miller as well, was Nifteras during the Magefa. We realize all of those people, not so well known, other people as well, that were Nifted during that time, who we all know and we all love. We remember them, and we understand that each and every one will be a dugma. They'll be an example for us of the Siras Nefesh of what they meant in this world. How many of the Nashim Tzidkaniyos that passed on dedicated their life, dedicated their life to Chinuch. One person, Mrs. Pearl Ullman, an individual that gave over her life so that children should be able to learn properly, so that every child would have a chance at Chinuch. She was great. She was a person that will be remembered by many people, people today who made it in life, but because she took an interest when they were a little boy or a little girl, that they should be able to have a chance in this world. So many great people, so many of the chayalim that were gunned down, that were snuffed out at the height of their life, we remember those over the generations that fought for Eretz Yisrael. We remember the name Ari Fold and what he did, and that he was silenced because maybe his voice was too great. Maybe they couldn't take it. Maybe he was a voice of rationale, in a sense, in a world that's berserk. We remember all of them from the Spalel and in the Schus, of all of the tzaddikim, Nashim Tzidkonios, over the years, that Hashem should have Rachmanus, and we should be taken out of this Golos Bimbeira. We continue with um, Kinnah number 31, Lamed Aleph. 
Eish tukad bekiribi bahalusi alibi bitsesi mi mitzrahoyim kinim oir alamanas kira bitsesi mi rushalohoyim az yoshir Moshe shir lo yinoshe bitsesi mi mitzrahoyim aikonein yirmiya v'noha nehi nihiya bitsesi mi rushalohoyim behesi hiskonon v'shochan heonon bitsesi mi mitzrahoyim. Vachamas el shochna alai kaninna v'tseisi miyushalohayim galayom raramu v'chachomo akamu v'tseisi miyushalohayim zdunim eshatafu v'yal roshitafu v'tseisi miyushalohayim digan shomayim mitzur yazuvu mayim v'tseisi miyushalohayim l'ana merorim mayim hamorim v'tseisi miyushalohayim ekedushu nevuah Uchvoda donai nira, but say see me, Mitrayim, Nigolo, Mora, of Ruachatum, of Sesimi, Rushalohim, Rehin of Yeshua. Vachatso tros hatrua, but say see me, Mitrayim, Zakas, Olo, Venakas, Halo. Say see me, Rushalohim, Shulchanumanora, the Holy Luktora, but say see me, Mitrayim, Eliel, Visoeva. Ufeselo Mateva, but say see me, Rushalohim, Torah, Usuda. Uchlei hachemeda b'tzeisimi mitzrayim Sason v'simcha v'nos yagon v'anacha v'shuvi l'yerushalayim Over the years, I always remember this particular kinna. The first time that I had heard it sung was when Reb Nachum beautifully sang this kinna. Up until that time, I just heard it said, spoken. It has such meaning, particularly with this nigget, because it is a song of great hope. We talk about leaving Yerushalayim, we talk about coming back, we talk about the ingathering of the exile. And that is our life. We realize that the same fire that burned the Beis Amikdash, as we're going to say later in the Mincha service, it's that fire that's going to rebuild the Beis Amikdosh. It's the fire of every Jew that is once again going to have the power to rebuild the Beis Amikdosh. So we remain hopeful on today. It's not only a day of sadness. It's a day of Kitsas. It's a Moed. It's a day when we don't say Tachnun. It's a day when Mashiach is born. It's a day when we look hopeful and we look forward to the greatness that will exist in the future, Bez Hashem Yisbarach, when we will all be gathered together in Yerushalayim and we'll all be able to enjoy each other. And it'll be the day when all of those that have passed on will be rejoined together with us. We conclude our Kinos service the way that Kinos is concluded in every shul around the world with Kinna number 45. Elitzion viareho, Kimahoisha vitsireho, Vichivisulo hagura sak, Albaal nureho, Alearmon, Asher, Nutash. Viashmas son adoreho, Vialbias mehar fail, Besoch me dash hadoreho, Elitzion viareho, Kimahoisha vitsireho, Vichivisulo hagura sak, Albaal nureho, Legolus mishores ail. Mani me shir zimoreho, vi aldamom asher shupach, kemome me ya oreho, elitzion, 
Elitzion, which is certainly the high point of the Kinnis and Tishabov, where everybody stands, and the Chasima, the ceiling of the Kinnis, is when everybody realizes that we're coming to an end of the morning Kinnis, and it's almost that we want to do more that we want to feel it and we want to continue because of our great upset. Elitzion, it's like a woman in the travails of the time when she is about to give birth. It's like a person that is standing on the verge of something great happening, but it hasn't happened yet. And we realize that all of the tears all of the tears are what is going to help that the seeds of the Geula will be watered and nurtured, and it will come to pass that in the schus of all of our tears, Hazarim Bedima, Berino Yiktsairu, that we will with joy reap the harvest, that there's going to be a great future in this world in which all of us will be joined together in a great simcha. Eli Tzion, we cry out to Tzion. Eli is one of the worst, one of the deepest, one of the most severe forms of crying out. And as much as we continue to cry out over the generations, and especially now, we realize that soon Hashem is going to answer that cry. And the mere fact that as long as we're still crying, Hashem sees that we still hold the base of Mikdash to be dear. The great Yismach Moshe said the following. There was a king, and the king had one son, an only son. And in fact, he was a Ben Zakunim. He was elderly when he had the son. So he gave the son a lot of wealth, and he gave the prince uh, a special stone, a precious jewel to wear around his neck. And it happened that on this particular uh, day, that the prince wandered out from the king's palace. He went to the streets. He met up with the wrong people. And soon he went way off. He disgraced his father, the king, and he had little to do with him. The king naturally cut him off, took away everything. One day that prince, that son, it got so bad that he got involved in crime. And it was pronounced upon him the death penalty. He was allowed to come and plead before the king. And he asked the king for Rahmanus. He asked the king to forgive him, even though he's a wayward son. 
and the king realized that cutting him off and his death would be the end of the Malchus. Finally, while the king was looking at him, he ripped open his shirt, and the prince showed him that he still had that jewel, that stone, right by his heart. When the king saw that, he was moved to Rachmanus. If after all the years he still kept that stone next to his heart, it meant that he was still connected. Says the Yisrach Moshe, if after all the years of the Golos, after all the years we Jews still wear those stones of the Beis Amikdosh close to our heart, it's a sign that we have that connection and that Hashem will redeem us. Bekarov, Bekarov, speedily in our days. JM and the AM, our 5780 Kinna service. I want to thank you, Rabbi Goldwasser. I want to thank you for um, making this uh, not only inspiring, but every year making it timely. Your references to both the, uh, the, um, uh, the um, challenging health situation that many people are in now, the references to the berserk, as you put it, times that we're in now, uh, are most appreciated. Uh, I also wanted to mention, and I, and I held myself back because our, uh, I'm, I'm careful every year not to interrupt what we do uh, as the uh, kinnas are being read and your explanations are being given. Uh, but when you were on kinna number 11 and you started speaking, you, you remember you referenced the uh, people who, uh, who may think because they're poor or have inability or consider themselves weaker people, they're not able to accomplish things within our tradition. You remember you that reference, right? Yeah. And, yeah, it, sure. and, and it, it gave me an opportunity to think of, and I almost jumped in, but I'll say it now. It gives me an opportunity to remember my father's words. Uh, my father knew something about Jewish leadership and about inspiring the people, and he would always say to me that when someone would approach him, when he would try, when, when he would try to convince somebody that they were capable of uh, keeping Shabbos, of keeping Kashrus, of of adding, you know, Torah study to their schedule, of, of, of being more ritually observant and paying more attention to our tradition, often the person would respond to him, Rabbi, what do you expect from me? I come from very humble beginnings, as you indicated. And my father would respond, yes, humble beginnings, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, humble, <laughs> humble beginnings. And you reminded me of that. O- often, my father had the ability, in a few words, to get a point across, as you know. And, uh, and very, very true. And that reference is one I've used many, many times for people who don't have the confidence, or think they don't have the education, or anything else they may be lacking in really uh, becoming outstanding members of our community. We're all from humble beginnings: Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Rabbi Goldwasser, I hope that uh, in the schus, in the merit, because it's, it's a tradition, as you know, um, over these many, many centuries, that um, our Torah giants tell us if we mourn together, if we mourn the, uh, uh, the uh, Holy Temple's destruction, we will have the opportunity to rejoice in its rebuilding. And I hope that with what we've implemented over all these years and really enhancing people's Tisha B'Av mourning and mourning with them, in this way, I hope we're going to have an opportunity in this forum to celebrate together the re- rebuilding of the Holy Temple. And I thank you so much for being here today. Amen. It's a great zuchus to be part of everything, especially on such a day, to be united with Klal Yisrael, 
through the program. Much appreciated. The amazing Rabbi David Goldwasser on a Tisha B'Av morning here at JM in the AM. 11 minutes after 8 o'clock. I do remind you, as Rabbi Goldwasser mentioned, I'm so glad he mentioned it because uh, these details are very important to us. They always are. There is no Avinu Malkeinu, and there is no Tachanun today, not at Shachris and not at Mincha. And I want to commend our friends at the Jewish Calendar Tidbits. It's a uh, Twitter feed, at Tidbits Jewish, Jewish Calendar Tidbits, that I highly recommend because they, they've put out some really important information about uh, about today, about Tisha B'Av. Everything from what Haftorahs we read today, Shachris and Mincha, to what we don't say today, no Avinu Malkeinu, no Tachanun. Uh, they even put out a something that I really enjoy, as, as many of you know. They even uh, put out last night a statistical breakdown of Tisha B'Av, meaning uh, we know that Tisha B'Av can only be on four days of the week and can only be observed on three days of the week, right? Because whenever Tisha B'Av is Shabbos, it's observed on Sunday. So for those of you who are interested... We observe Tisha B'Av this year on Thursday, and in general, Thursday, Tisha B'Av is 28.6% of the time. On Tuesday, it's 31.9% of the time. Shabbos, 28%, and Sunday, 11.5%, which is why it's observed Sunday because of the Shabbos-Sunday uh, combination. That's why it's observed Sunday almost 40 percent of the time. So if it always feels to you that Tisha B'Av is almost always on Sunday, there's a reason why it in fact uh, feels that way. So to little tidbits like this and important reminders about the Haftorahs and about Avinu Malkeinu and Tachanun and um, and uh, different things. Uh, for instance, uh, I was reminded that Anenu this morning at Shacharis is only said by the Shliach Tzibor, but Anenu and Nachem are are both said by both the Shliach Tzibor and the um, and the general congregation at Mincha, maybe at different times, right? Anenu is at different times in each monastery at Mincha, uh, but they are both said. So things like that are important reminders to us always. And um, again, we highly recommend that you follow on Twitter Jewish Calendar Tidbits, so you're kept up to date on uh, on the latest. Um, on the latest of what is included and not included in our daily ritual. Thursday morning, Tisha B'Av, you're listening to JM in the AM. We are going to continue with our uh, discussion, or I should say our lecture, by Rabbi Beryl Wine. He's in the midst of a discussion about Eicha. Megillas Eicha, the Megillah of Eicha is the centerpiece of the Tish above morning. Here is Rabbi Beryl Wine at JM in the AM. There are 5,000 people who claim to be Jewish, but he said there are 50,000 people who could be Jewish. So that's what the Novi decries. That, that's what the, that's the subject here of the tragedy. Orosi lemaahavai, I called my lovers. Hema rimuni, they cheated me. They, uh, when I needed them, they're not there. Kolanai uskenai boir gavol. 
Kohanim, the elders. So here the Novi, again, you have to see the background. Novi, uh, the Novi Yermio was branded as a defeatist, as being a traitor. And there were other uh, false prophets and false leaders of the people who said, nothing's going to happen, we don't have to worry about anything, you know, we got the Egyptians on our side, and nothing's going to happen here. So, he, and those people were in the, the upper classes, who always uh, are unaware of impending trouble. They have the most to lose. So they said, uh, well, you know, don't, we'll have enough for ourselves. So he says they're dying of hunger in the streets. He picks you off Loma. They look for food for themselves because he can't eat gold. Instead, they expire. Rei Hashem Kitsarli. Lord's not the Novi, the last Sukim here. He turns to God and he says, All right, I'm guilty, but they're guilty also. Then what right do they have to be uh, so atrocious towards me, so violent towards me? So this again deals with a, a famous philosophical question which exists in the Chumash, and that is why uh, were the Egyptians punished if uh, it was decreed that the Jews were supposed to be slaves in Egypt, and Avram Avinu saw that at the covenant of the Brisbane Absorans, and then why should the Egyptians be punished? So there are two answers, there are many answers, the two main answers. One is the Rambam and one is the Rambat. The Rambam's theory is, uh, explain it by, in terms of actuarial science. One of my daughters is an actuary, she worked for a metropolitan life insurance company. So what do the actuaries do? They figure out the probability of how many insurance policies Metropolitan Life will have to pay out during the coming year. So that they'll know how much cash they have to have on hand. The rest of it they can invest. Now no actuary, so let's say I'll say uh, 80,000 policies come due. No actuary can tell you which 80,000 policies. But they're accurate within 1% that 80,000 policies have come through. So the Rambam says that was the same thing. God only told Abram that their people would be enslaved. Who will enslave them? God left that up to anybody who wanted to do it. The Egyptians chose to do it. They didn't have to do it. That's the Rambam's theory, which is very sophisticated. The Rambam's theory is... There's slavery and slavery, you know. You can be nice to your slaves, you can be cruel to your slaves. The Egyptians were not punished for enslaving the Jewish people because that was God's will. They were punished for the cruelty that they had towards them. So here, the uh, Novi says, uh, 
he complains about the cruelty. Good, so we have to be defeated. We have to be taken away in war. But, uh, for instance, the United States occupied Japan and rebuilt it. Occupied Italy and rebuilt it. There's, there's a way to lose a war, too. The Russians, when they uh, took over East Germany and the other satellite countries, they made sure that they felt the, the revenge. So he says, Shomu ki they heard that I have broken my sides, hey Menachem Lee, I have no comfort, all of my enemies heard of my troubles, so soon they rejoiced in my troubles. It's not them, you did it, God, not them. You will bring a day and call upon them too. Viyu Chamoni, their turn will come also. The long history of the Jewish people, everyone that has oppressed the Jewish people has eventually fallen. That's a lesson that uh, one would think that the world would learn, but uh, there are many lessons that go unnoticed. So uh, in our time, for instance, the collapse of the Soviet Union, collapse of the Soviet Union was engineered by the Jews, by the refuseliks and the pressure of world Jewry, let my people go, all the demonstrations, everything, that brought down the Soviet Union. I would say, uh, you know, if Sharansky is riding around in a Volvo, and he's a minister in the government, right, and Gorbachev is doing pizza commercials. How's that? So we'll see yet, right? The Churchill said that the uh, wheels of history grind exceedingly slow, but they grind exceedingly fine. Everybody gets paid. So he says, the Navi says, you come on, they'll also feel it, right? They have no right to be that brutal. Friends of mine that have gone back to Lithuania to see, uh, in fact, I have a cousin that went back to see our old hometown. So when he came there, you know, so all of our houses are still there. So he said, so when he knocked on the door of my grandfather's house, so people who opened the door were afraid that he was coming to take the house back. As though we would like to move back to Lithuania. But he said wherever he went, they all said the same thing. They said you know, it was a mistake to get rid of the Jews. Because, you know, the countries are nothing. Spain was a world empire before it got rid of the Jews. So in the long run, you Kamoni, they will also experience it. Toho Kolrosolafanecha, that all of their evil come before you. How they behave. He simply calls for revenge. 
let them taste what it looks like. There are enormous forest fires today in France that were set on purpose. People died already. Millions of dollars worth of damage to houses that can't get it under control. So the French president says it's terrorism. Yeah. See how you like it. Burned down uh, two years ago, uh, burned down half the forests in the Galilee. That's not terrorism, that's freedom fighting. We'll see how it plays out. I am full with sighs, and my heart is broken. I want to uh, go to the third chapter. The second chapter is pretty much a repeat of the first chapter. Same ideas. The third chapter, I told you, was the chapter that the Novi Urbio wrote in the dungeon. I am the person. I'm not telling you stories. I'm telling you my, what happened to me. <coughs> I saw the afflictions. The Shevet Evroso. I suffered from the whip of anger. I was led into darkness, not into light. Part of being in the dungeon is darkness. Ahdi Yoshu, that God will return to me. Yapoch Yodo Kalayon, his hand will turn away. So here we have, I mentioned to you, we have three psukim with olive, we're going to have three psukim with bays, etc. The Lord placed me in the midst of darkness as though I were dead already. So it's interesting, the Talmud Bavli, the Gomorrah, says, the Mahashaki Moshivani, that's the Talmud Bavli, because it was created in the exile. And therefore it is obtuse, it's hard, it's dark. It's trying to read without a light. Because it's a product of exile. God is like a bear who uh, lies in ambush. I mentioned you, I just came from the Canadian Rockies. You know, the bears come down to fish for breakfast. They position themselves right at the point in the river where the salmon jump. He's waiting for them. Aribamistarim, like a lion crouching in a hidden place. Now that's the description of troubles, being, uh, so to speak, blindsided by events. I was mocked by all of my people. The Nodi was mocked. People said he's crazy. They make songs about me. They mock me. 
He's beyond Ibamrori. I have been satiated by having bitter things happen. Irbani Lana. Lana is a bitter herb, like a vermouth. Very bitter herb. Batiznach Misholom Nafshi. So my heart has no. Sholom here means has no serenity. Ashisi Tova. I've given up that anything good will happen to me. And all he says in his desperation, sitting in the dungeon. Omar, and I said, Ovadnitsky, I have lost my eternity. Obubina, the Sochalti. Children, my generations, my Hashem, God has taken all of that away from me. And then he comforts himself in Pasukhov days. You have to see this as a dialogue between himself and himself. Between the depths of his depression and then the resurrection of his faith in spite of the depression. So Chavbeis Chazdei Hashem Kilosomna. God's mercy knows no end. Not allowed to give up. This is also the lesson of Jewish history, and the lesson of individuals. A person's will makes a great difference. Two people, God forbid, can have the same disease. One person is strong about it and can be cured. The other person gives up and then the disease conquers. You both get the same treatment. No end to the chesed of the revolution. His mercy is never ending. Every morning there are new things. How do we know what tomorrow brings? Bravo emunosecha. Faith in you is what gives me the ability to continue. Chelki Hashem Omro Nafshi. My share of God is my soul. I'm a piece of God. Al Therefore, I will pray to Him. I will hope on to Him. I will not give up hope. Tov Hashem Latova. God gives good to those who hope unto Him, to the soul that truly seeks Him. The best thing is to hope unto God and do moment to be quiet, not to say foolish things. And then one will see the salvation of God. A person should be accustomed from youth to carry the yoke of responsibility. So the Gemara says that we have a choice of yokes. Nobody passes without having to carry a yoke. So you can choose what yoke you want to have. There are people who commit suicide because their sports team lost. In the United States, there are always uh, 200 suicides after the Super Bowl. 
but that's the yoke that they're carrying. Pasuk says, Onam Ma'amal Yula, person is born for toil. Ashrei mi Happy is the person that the toil is in positive things and does things for Torah, for Jewish people, for humanity, helps people. I, uh, when I was in Muncie, so uh, Muncie is the best of all worlds because it has a Catholic hospital with Jewish doctors. Reverse it, and uh, we'd have a problem. And the woman that ran the hospital, the nun who ran the hospital, her sister, so she was a great fundraiser. I knew her. I remember I was walking once in the hospital in the end of June, and she came running over to me, and she said, Rabbi, she said, Can you get me? There's a few spaces left here in the hospital for interns. She said, Can you get me the guys with the beanies? She said, because they, you know, it's not a, just a job by that. Because then you're, you're, then you're doing God's work. A doctor is doing God's work. Roll back home. Right? But if a doctor is only in it for something else, so then that's a different yoke that he's carrying. Same thing is true of every profession, of every walk in life. So, Ashrei Mi Shamolo Batoru. The yoke that you carry is that of godliness of Torah, so then that's the yoke, right? But you can't expect to go through life without any yoke. That doesn't happen. So, that's what the Novi says Tova Train ourselves from our youth uh, to carry the yoke in order that. Our lives will be a positive contribution. This concludes this lecture by Thursday morning, Tish above JM in the AM. Thank you, Rabbi Wine. Rabbi Wine's lectures at one eight hundred four nine nine W E I N one eight hundred four nine nine W E I N RabbiWine dot com Rabbi W E I N dot com. Fifteen percent off and free shipping with promo code radio on all of Rabbi Wine's titles. At artscroll.com. Take advantage. Go to artscroll.com. And I thank Rabbi Wine for being the centerpiece of our spoken word nine days format here at JM and the AM. Tomorrow we will be in a regular format. Malcolm Holmline, <coughs> Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Harry Rothenberg, Rabbi Yudin, Benny Friedman scheduled to join us. We'll talk about Yom NCSY. It's a regular day tomorrow. Erev Shabbos Nachamu here at JM and the AM. Please make sure to tune in. Mark Zamek will have an Erev Shabbos show beginning tonight at 3 a.m. Eastern Time. Let me make sure I have that right. I believe it's 3 a.m. Eastern Time. Those of you in Israel, take advantage. You'll be able to uh, you'll be able to um, uh, tune in tonight, or I should say, excuse me, you'll be able to tune in tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Israel Time to that broadcast. It's a brand new Erev Shabbos show being done specifically for Erev Shabbos Nachamu. So 3 a.m. Eastern Time. Again, you'll be able to hear it at 10 a.m. in Israel Friday morning. Brand new show. We'll have it at 9 a.m. Eastern Time as well. Um, and it's a long, celebratory Erev Shabbos Nachamu show with Mark Zamek brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. 
That's all tomorrow. Lots happening tomorrow, as you can imagine, to be a packed day here at the network. Monday is our Yom NCSY show, which we're going to be doing Sunday right before Yom NCSY. Uh, Tuesday, Danielle Renoff with her brand new cookbook, Peas, Love, and Carrots. Wednesday, uh, NCSY uh, live broadcast from uh, one of their summer programs in Bergen County. We have a very, very big week coming up uh, here at JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, please keep in mind Tamar Elisheva Bastavora. Please keep in mind Tamar Elisheva Bastavora for Rafur Shlema. Tamar Elisheva Bastavora, and your help with that is greatly appreciated. I want to remind you that our friends at um, uh, at uh, Aleph Beta, our friends at Aleph Beta, you can go to Aleph, A-L-E-P-H, beta.org. AlephBeta.org have Kinote Live with Ray Foreman coming up at 10 a.m. Eastern Time this morning. Um, again, Kinote Live with Ray Foreman. Go to AlephBeta.org slash Kinote 2020. Aleph, A-L-E-P-H. AlephBeta.org slash Kinote, K-I-N-O-T 2020. And you'll be able to participate at 10 o'clock Eastern Time this morning. Also, I want to remind you, if you if you missed Rabbi Goldwasser's presentation this year, uh, earlier this morning, went from about 7.25 to 8.05, live presentation of Keynote. If you missed it, try to li- it'll be available, obviously, right after 9 o'clock in the archives. Try your hardest to listen to it. His words are always brilliant this year, particularly brilliant. So try your hardest. Uh, also, I wanted to again promote our friends at... Um, on Twitter, Jewish Calendar Tidbits, Jewish Calendar Tidbits on Twitter, at Tidbits Jewish. Uh, they have there the Haftorahs that we read today. They have reminders that there's no Tachnun and no Avinu Malkenu today. Uh, they have a reminder that Anenu is said in Shachris by the uh, Shliach Tzibor. Anenu and Nachem are said by everybody at Mincha. Uh, it's really a good Twitter feed to follow. Jewish Calendar Tidbits, Jewish Calendar Tidbits, at Tidbits Jewish. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. Uh, don't forget Yom NCSY. You want to make sure to have your ticket. You want to make sure to have your access. Uh, Yom NCSY 2020 stars Mordechai Shapiro and Benny Friedman this Sunday starting at 8 p.m. Eastern time. I'll be hosting. It's going to be a great show, and it's only $18. And if you're home, Nachamu Sunday with your family, it's a golden opportunity to spend high-quality uh, great Jewish music time together. Mordechai Shabiro, Penny Friedman, lots of fun in general. Yom NCSY always is. This time it's being done virtually, and everybody out there can participate. Summer.ncsy.org slash Yom NCSY. Summer.ncsy.org slash Yom NCSY. Summer.ncsy.org slash Yom NCSY. Uh, also, I wanted to mention that um, every year, aside from the years that we're traveling on Tisha B'Av, and please God, we should all live and be well and be healthy, it looks like next year, uh, if travel is back, uh, we will be doing it again, literally flying on Tisha B'Av. Uh, but, but outside of the years that we fly on Tisha B'Av to Israel to be there for Yom Ziswine, to be there with the Nefesh B'Nefesh, etc., um, we... Um, participate in the Isaiah Peace Wall prayer service. Uh, Kotel Yeshayahu, as the Nasi of the Mizrahi puts it, is the location, 43rd and 1st. This year, um, it'll be a virtual Tisha B'Av Isaiah Peace Wall prayer service for Israel and Jews in danger worldwide. 
Uh, they'll start Mincha at one forty-five. Presentations at two fifteen. The Zoom meeting ID. I'll give it to you. I know it's. Uh, I mean, you'll probably see it on social media, etc. Um, but you may want to mark it down so you'll have it. The Zoom meeting ID for the Isaiah Peace Wall virtual Tishabov service is eight six zero 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 four eight one eight six five. Again, that's eight six zero 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 four eight one eight six five. So you'll have that for later on today uh, to participate with everybody in that always inspiring uh, inspiring service. JM in the AM, we have about 20 minutes to go on this morning's broadcast. Again, tomorrow is a regular format. Tomorrow is a regular format at 3 a.m. Eastern time. It's the brand new Erev Shabbos show for Erev Shabbos Nachamu, hosted by Mark Zamek and brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Um, on... Uh, Tomorrow at 9 a.m., the Erev Shabbos show, hosted by Mark Zamek, brought to you by wonderful people at Kedem. So you have a couple of opportunities to hear it. Made special for Erev Shabbos Nachamu. Uh, Malcolm Holmline tomorrow, Harry Rothenberg tomorrow, Rabbi Yudin tomorrow, Benny Friedman tomorrow. Next week, as I said, a very big week. On the road, quote-unquote, both Monday morning and Wednesday morning with NCSY. Tuesday morning, Danielle Renoff. By the way... <laughs> I enjoyed a Danielle Renoff peas, love, and carrots recipe before the fast. <laughs> Mrs. Siegel did a remarkable job um, with a recipe for lentil soup that was just remarkable. It was really, really delicious. So I already have stuff to discuss with Danielle Renoff on my list of her already very successful cookbook. You can go to artscroll.com for details about that. Tish above morning, JM in the AM, all right, barrel wine. Chapter 5 of Eicha at JM and the AM. Last parak in uh, Eicha. So this uh, chapter also has uh, 22 psukim, but it has uh, the order here is not, uh, not consistent with the other uh, four chapters. Other four chapters all have uh, alphabetical order of the verses, and here they're like thrown together. As I mentioned, uh, this uh, chapter was written in reaction to the Churban, uh, to the destruction of the Temple, whereas the other four chapters are, so to speak, uh, in anticipation, or they were written uh, as an elegy, so therefore they're... There's an order to them. It's, there's a lot of thought given to it because it's not written under the pressure of the event of the moment. But here, the last chapter is in reaction to the actual Hurban. And all he sees the Hurban in front of his eyes. And therefore, it's, uh, it's more jumbled. It is a very interesting word that we should tell God to remember. The Lord is beyond memory. We say in the davening on Rosh Hashanah, There's no such thing as remembering or forgetting. 
the Lord is above time. So uh, everything is the same. So how do we say, or for instance, we have the famous uh, prayer of Yuskor, that God should remember our uh, dearly departed uh, relatives. What do we mean that we say, remember? So the simple explanation, which is true, is that uh, we can only speak to God in terms of being human beings. Finite can never really address the infinite. Uh, so we have no way of talking to him. And he, so to speak, has no way of talking to us. And therefore, we find in the Chumash many times, and we find the Gemara, it says, that there are all the anthropomorphic statements which exist in the Chumash, by God's hand, God's anger, uh, etc., God's face, are only to be understood in order that something should enter our ear. So they have to talk in those terms, but those terms are never meant to be taken literally. They're never meant to be understood in that fashion. And so therefore, what we say to God also, it should not be taken literally. God remembers. Because remembrance is not necessary. It's not possible, so to speak. But that's the only way we can talk to God. Only talk to him as a human being talks. So we say here, Zchor Hashem Mahoyolonu, Abito Reyes Herposeinu. See our shame, our abuse in the world. So one of the constant themes here in Echa and in Jewish history as well is that the chosen people who have contributed so much to civilization are abused, hated, mocked at, shamed. And that's one of the paradoxes, the historical anomalies that exist, how why such a thing should be. Uh, since the Nobel Prize was instituted, uh, there are well over 160 Jews that have won the prize in all fields. For example, without being uh, racist or fascistic, uh, three Muslims have won the prize. One of them is Arafat. So if you have a people that produces 160, and you can be sure that they didn't get the Nobel Prize because they were Jewish, you can be certain that there are a lot of Jews that on the way didn't make it. But if you have such a people and uh, such a uh, contribution to civilization, so one would think that somehow the world would appreciate it instead of resent it. That's one of the problems the Novi raises here in Echo, is that why should we be so resented and shamed when uh, in the course of normal ideas uh, we should be treasured and respected? That's a great point. 
Nachlaseinu nefchol izorin. Our inheritance was taken by others. So there's no worse feeling in the world than a person who feels that his inheritance, what he was granted by his ancestors, was taken from him. He was robbed of his heritage. A great deal of frustration in the Jewish world today is simply because there's an underlying feeling amongst many, many Jews that they've been robbed of their heritage. They don't know where they, you know, so sometimes you know who the robber is. So you can complain, but sometimes you don't even know who the robber is. So you make a complaint and it gets filed, and you know, and very little happens. I ordered a set of checkbooks. You know, there are, there are two occasions in life when you're very frustrated. There are more than two. But one is uh, when you have checks and you don't have money in the account write the check. But even more frustrating is when you do have money in the account and you don't have checks. So I found myself in that situation. Uh, so I uh, called up my bank in the United States then and I said, mail me the checks. Mail me a book of checks. So they sent it to me through the mail. The only thing is I never got it. Somebody ripped it off post office or whether it was in the, in the mailbox. And the guy wrote out checks and he signed my name, right? No. The banks don't look anymore at the signatures or anything. But he made a mistake of being too greedy. He wrote out checks in amounts that uh, the great Rabbi Wine never has in his account. All my uh, money is invested in Swaziland dinars. So, you know, so I get notices from the bank, you know, the checks are bouncing and this and that, and you know, what's going on here, right? Until I finally go to the bank and I show them that, you know, the checks that they honored are all uh, forgeries. So the bank uh, was willing to make restitution, but only if I made a police complaint. So I made a police complaint, and the detective took down all the information in a very bored fashion. You know, when you, the real police is not what you see on Law and Order or uh, New York Police Department, etc. That, that police doesn't exist. And he took it down. So it's two and a half years. I've heard nothing from I've heard a word from anybody. But the bank at least put the, made restitution. Have insurance for it. But the feeling that you have of being robbed is uh, it's, it's such a personal ego blow. It's uh, you know, the same thing happens, God forbid, if a person's home is burglarized. You feel violated. It's not just what they took. So that's what the Nazi says. What was ours... They took it from us. And we have no one to complain to. Yusomim ho'yinu, we are orphans. There ain't of, and there is no father. So what does that mean? If you say that we're orphans, so then there's no father. Why should the Pussy repeat it? So there are two kinds of orphans, God forbid. There's an orphan, 
But the orphan had a father. And let's say the father had a reputation, or the father had wealth, or the father had friends, or the father had family. So even though the child is, God forbid, orphaned, but there's some backup system. But what if you have an orphan and nobody knows who the father is? It often happens in our world today. There are entire communities that uh, have no father. No one knows who the father is. We have glorified single parent status as though that's something to be uh, pursued. But here it's Yosomi Moyinu. We are orphans and we don't ain't all, right? There's nobody to turn to. There's no father behind us. No one to follow up. No one to turn to. One of the interesting things about being a rabbi in Eastern Europe over the centuries, but it was famous in the 19th century, the early 20th century, was that the foundlings were dropped at the rabbi's door. Jewish babies that were born out of questionable circumstances or were born out of such abject poverty that the parents felt they couldn't do anything for the baby. So they would bring the baby and deposit it on the rove's door, and the rove would raise them or would take care of them, or would somehow. Uh, well, probably the most famous Rav in the, 19, the end of the 19th century was famous for this, was the great Rabbi Chaim Brisker, Chaim Salavechik, you know, the, uh, the son of the Beis Alevi, the uh, man who was known for revolutionizing the uh, method of uh, understanding Talmud and the Rambam. But what is not as well known about him was his great uh, humanity. So they, they, so in Brisk, where he was the Rav, Brisk, Litovsk, where he was the Rav, so he must have raised, uh, they say, 40 or 50 foundlings. Got them educated and got them married. Most of them were illegitimate. So they, they used to say in Bris, he's one of Rebchaim's mamzerim. Right? So like, but they said it in a loving way, not an insult. And my own father-in-law, blessed memory, became an orphan from his father and mother when he was 11 years old. And he had nowhere to be. So his oldest sister took him and brought him to the house of the Chafetz Chaim and Rod and left him there. My father always told me how the Chafetz Chaim made the bed for him and gave him a glass of hot milk, told him not to worry, he'll take care, you know, and he stayed in Rod uh, for eight, nine years. So like, you know, yeah. that was accepted was an accepted thing. It wasn't seen as an act of great uh, piety. You have books written about it. That was just accepted. That if you were a rogue in the community or you were somebody of note, you know, so then uh, people could do that. People, you know, 
Today it's different, you know. We, yeah, today we suffer nudniks that call you at all hours of the night. Right? I was the head of the OUs. Uh, I used to have uh, my uh, Marshkichim who worked on the West Coast. Some of them worked in Alaska at the Salmon. I worked in Hawaii. So they would call me 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning in my house, you know, and I'm sleeping. And he would say, I didn't want to bother you in the office. But if you're in the job, you got to expect that. That's part of the job. And Moshe Rabbeinu said that. You know, you have to look in the Chumash because everything is in there. Moshe Rabbeinu said, it's kasher yisaho the way a nursing mother carries an infant. That's what it is to serve the Jewish people. They're all babies. Every last one of them. But the Lord will bless you. You'll all be fathers. So at least for the first child, you'll get up at night. It's amazing. After the first child, I didn't even hear the other three. Right? They slept through the night. My wife claims that they didn't. But the first child, you know, she gets up two in the morning, she wants to be fed, you get up. Doesn't make any difference, it's inconvenient, you gotta go to work the next morning, you had a hard day at the office. The baby doesn't know any of that. The baby doesn't care. The baby's wet, the baby's dirty, the baby's hungry, the baby just wants to be a fetch. That's the Jewish people. The way a nursing mother carries her child. That's what so Moshe defined the job. You know, you want the job specifications, those are the job specifications. So therefore, he says, but now that we're orphaned, and we have, we don't even know who the father is, and we have nobody, there's nobody's doorstep we can be left on. And nobody that cares. Imosenu kalmonos. Our mothers are like widows. What does it mean, like widows? So the before should say that that's the worst of all situations, is that a woman, the husband isn't there, she's not free of him, and she is not, and she doesn't have him. Jam in the AMI, thanks to Rabbi Wine. He's been an amazing inspiration for us during these uh, nine days, and I thank him for his presentations of the uh, spoken word format here at JM and the AM. I thank all of you for tuning in and being part of this amazing radio experience. Uh, we do have a uh, Charlie Harari with an appropriate conversation coming up for Tishabov. We also have Allison Josephs in the 10 o'clock hour, an appropriate conversation for Tishabov. Throwback Thursday will be an appropriate broadcast of a past Tishabov program. I highly recommend our archive from today. Rabbi Goldwasser was brilliant in his uh, live presentation of Kinos. Try your hardest to uh, be part of it, to hear it at some point. Uh, tomorrow at 3 a.m. We're back into a regular format tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Regular format tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. It's Arab Shabbos Nachamu. 3 a.m., brand new broadcast, a brand new program, the Arab Shabbos Show with Mark Zamek. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. It'll also be on at 9 a.m. after JM and the AM tomorrow. So a great day tomorrow, uh, Sunday. Matis will be here with JM Sunday for Nachama weekend. We're at Yom NCSY Sunday night. The Yom NCSY show 
is Monday morning. Danielle Renoff, Tuesday morning with the brand-new cookbook. Wednesday, NCSY summer program from Bergen County. We have a big week coming up at JM in the AM and the Nachum Siegel Network. A very easy and meaningful fast to all. Achenu Yisrael and Achim brothers and sisters in Israel. We are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com and the Nachum Siegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. And that wraps up a Tisha B'Av morning at JM in the AM. Until tomorrow, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.